What does the Bible really say about judging? In Matthew 7, Jesus Christ clearly says, judge not. For this reason, Christians will often be accused of breaking Jesus' commands when we call out sin, and we need to know how to respond. Jesus did say, judge not, but there's more to it, and that is what we're talking about today. This is Worldview Legacy, the show that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders their families and churches need. I'm Joel Sedeckase. I'm a Christian apologist and the president of the Think Institute. It's my mission to help you, the Christian man who's not a pastor, but is trying to pass on the Christian faith to the younger generation to be ready to give a good answer to the questions the world is asking. So, can you judge according to the Bible? This is an important question that a Christian man who is trying to live a Christian life needs to understand. It needs to know how to answer. It's important for you as a man. It's important for you as a dad and as a husband, as you're trying to lead your family in living out the Christian worldview in everyday life. You want to lead them well, and that means getting a biblical understanding of judging. Now, this question was suggested to me by a dad, a young dad, Kevin Blessum. Kevin is a board member of the Think Institute, and he is a Christian man trying to live a Christian life. If you're like Kevin and me, you'd like to be able to answer this question a little better than maybe you can right now. So today we're going to do a deep dive into the question of judging, and we're going to look at four ways that the Bible says you shouldn't judge as well as five ways that the Bible says you should judge. And then we're going to look at how this question connects to everyday life and how you can live out this teaching in your local area, in your life. If you like what you hear and you want to learn more, you need to know about our free online community. This is the group where you can discuss and learn from over 800 others who are on the same journey that you are on. Yes, we're up to over 800 now. Amazing. Every week in this group, we are sharing resources to help you grow as a Christian man and to build a legacy in the Christian worldview. It has been really helpful for me, and others have contacted me to tell me how much they enjoy it. The group is growing like gangbusters. So this is really the perfect time to join. I will tell you more about that at the end of this episode. Now, let's look at four ways that you shouldn't judge and five ways that you should. Okay, first, how should we not judge? One, don't judge hypocritically. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says this, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, Luke 6.37 is a parallel passage to this. Listen to what it says. And do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. 
Romans 2.1 is instructive here as well. It reads, Therefore you are without excuse, O man, everyone who passes judgment. For in that which you condemn another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. What these three verses are saying is, don't be a hypocrite. Deal with yourself first and then judge others. Don't apply a standard to somebody else that you don't want someone else applying to you. So this is not just a blanket condemnation of all judgment. Instead, it's telling you how not to judge. Don't judge hypocritically. All right, number two, don't speak evil or slander other Christians. Don't speak evil of or slander other Christians. James 4, 11 and 12 says this, and I actually just taught about this passage at the Trail Life Troop, where my boys go, where I am the assistant chaplain. So here is what James says in chapter 4. Do not slander one another, brothers. He who slanders a brother or judges his brother slanders the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So James is saying here, when you speak evil of your brother, you might think that you are promoting the law. You're condemning your brother for breaking the law and you're promoting the law. However, what you're actually doing is taking the law into your own hands. Now, this is something that the law condemns. You're setting yourself up as judge and jury. This is prohibited by the law. Jesus forbade it. Moses forbade it. It's like you're saying, hey, I can disobey God's law in order to uphold God's law. But you are not God. You are not the judge. And God doesn't need your help to judge your fellow Christians. So don't slander or speak evil of them. Now, this is not the same as judging false teaching or judging immoral behavior. There is a right way of doing that. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But a couple of other verses to think about here would be Matthew 5.22, which says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, raka means empty head. It comes from the word reka. It means empty head. So don't call yourself, don't call your brother these names. Don't speak evil of your fellow Christians. When Jesus says, brother, he's talking about your brothers in Christ, your brothers in the Lord. So that's number two. So number one, don't judge hypocritically. Number two, don't speak evil of fellow Christians. Number three, don't judge Christians for religious observances that have been done away with, but that they're still clinging to out of conscience. Romans 14, one through four talks about this. Here's what it says. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats must not view the one who does not eat with contempt, and the one who does not eat must not judge the one who eats, for God accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
Colossians 2, 16 and 17 is similar. It says, therefore, no one is to judge you in food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, so we've got judgment going both ways here. On the one hand, we've got people who are still clinging to these religious observances of the old covenant, and they're judging those who are no longer observing Sabbaths and observing holy days and things like that. On the other hand, you've got people who recognize the freedom they have in the new covenant, but they're looking down their noses at those who, for conscience sake, are still clinging to some of these vestiges of the old covenant. What we ought to learn here from both passages is you shouldn't let someone condemn you for these matters of conscience, and you should not be condemning someone else for these matters of conscience. So if it strays into legalism, we have problems, but if it's just a matter of conscience, keep your judgments to yourself. Matter of fact, don't even make those judgments. Again, Jesus Christ is the judge. We are his servants. He is the master. So we should not be passing judgment on one another in that way in the house of God, in the church. All right, so that is number three. What about number four? The fourth way you should not judge is don't judge outsiders. 1 Corinthians 5, 11 through 12 talks about this. Paul says, but now I am writing to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or greedy or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Okay, now what does this have to do with judging outsiders? Because he's talking about the church. That was verse 11. Listen to verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Are you not to judge those who are within the church? In other words, Paul is saying, judge those who are within the church for their immorality. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But it's not our role to cast final judgment on those who are outside the church in a way that we are excluding them from society. The church does not have the responsibility to excommunicate people from society or to execute people. The world outside the church, it's not like it's not going to be condemned or judged. It's just not our job right now to do that. John 3.18 says this, He who believes in him, the Son of God, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, those outside the church are already judged by God, and it's not our role within functioning as Christians to exercise final authority on those outside the church. We may speak prophetically, but without thinking that we can render that final judgment or cast people out of society. If anything, that's for civil government, not for the church. All right, so the four ways that we shall not judge. One, don't judge hypocritically. Two, don't speak evil or slander your fellow Christians. Three, don't judge Christians for religious observances, which are a matter of conscience. And four, don't judge outsiders. Now, there are some ways that we should judge, though. And we're going to talk about five ways that you should be judging according to the Bible. Number one, judge yourself. 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16 say, 
take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So the motive here is that we want to be effective. We want to make clear, evident progress in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. So Paul says, keep a close watch on your life and your teaching. In other words, judge what you're doing to make sure that it's right. And in so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. In other words, you will be effective in ministry. Maybe you're like me, like I was for a long time, where I was looking for that right fit in ministry. and felt like I hadn't really achieved it for a long period of years, actually. Paul is saying that if you want to be effective and really find that right fit and really do what the Lord wants you to do, then you need to be examining yourself, judging your words, judging your conduct to make sure that they are in line with how they should be, according to Scripture. And this goes for all of Christian life. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one says, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged, which sounds like a contradiction, but what he's talking about in context is he's talking about the Lord's Supper. And he's saying that some people are taking communion wrong is what's going on. They're taking the Lord's Supper wrong. And he says, if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. In other words, God would not judge us guilty of sin if we kept better watch on ourselves and judged ourselves, so to speak. So we are to judge ourselves, again, in making sure that like the things that we are doing, the words that we say, the thoughts that we're thinking, our conduct is what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. And it's really important that we judge ourselves by a true and right standard here. Second Corinthians 10, 12 says, for we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. In other words, don't set up yourself as your own standard. You need an objective standard. You need to use the standard of Scripture. And I know that there's some truth in the idea that like when you're working out, judge yourself today by how you were in the past. Look at your own progress. That's good. But even then, you are not the standard, even of physical health. There is an objective standard of what physical health is, and there's an objective standard of spiritual and theological health. And we need to maintain true standards. Don't make yourself the standard. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 through 4 then says, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord." What's that saying? Paul is not negating what he said earlier when he said, examine yourself. What he's saying is, I don't have the final authority to declare whether or not I'm doing well. That judgment ultimately rests in the hands of Almighty God. So it's very important to remember this. We are judging ourselves by a true standard, and final judgment belongs to God. But we ought to be examining our life, our conduct, to make sure that it is in line with Scripture, 
with the teaching of Jesus Christ. Okay, now, number two, do judge false and divisive teaching. 1 Corinthians 10.15 says, I speak as to prudent people. You judge what I say. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I'm teaching you. I'm assuming that you're wise, you're prudent. Judge for yourself whether what I say is true. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, but examine all things, hold fast to that which is good. 1 John 4.1 says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Keep going. Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brothers, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and stumblings contrary to the teachings which you learned, and turn away from them. Titus 3.10. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Factious means divisive. Someone who is bringing divisive teachings into the church, and they're divisive because they're false. Second Peter 3, 2 through 3 says that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles, knowing this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. We're talking about scoffers who mock biblical teaching. Peter says, watch out for them. So as a Christian man, it's important not to accept teaching passively, whether it's coming from a pastor or a Bible study leader or a podcaster or a YouTuber or a friend. Instead, you need to be like a good guardsman watching to make sure that no teaching gets in to your own beliefs or your family or your church that's not true according to God's written word, the Bible. The fact that this is important is highlighted by the very many passages that warn about false teachers. This isn't a what-if situation. This is a when-this-happens situation. False teaching is going to come in, and you need to be ready for it. So that's number two. Number one was judge yourself. Number two was judge false teaching. Number three is judge unrepentant sinners in the church. We're talking about what the Bible refers to as disorderly, undisciplined, unrepentantly sinful, and sexually immoral, immoral people. I'll give you some examples. 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who walks in an unworthy manner and not according to the tradition which they received from us. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. through 5. But know this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. What's going to make them difficult, Paul? For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, without gentleness, without love for good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but having denied its power, keep away from such men as these. Man, if that's not a call to judgment, I don't know what is. And then 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. 
I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the greedy, greedy and swindlers or with idolaters. For then, you would have to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or greedy or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Again, it's a call to judge unrepentant sinners within the community of the church, within the fellowship. And then 2 Peter 2, 10 through 16, warns of those who go after the flesh in its corrupt lust and despise authority. These are false teachers who practice immorality. So it's not wrong to judge the actions of someone who claims to be a Christian and yet refuses to turn away from sin. As Christians, we're never going to be totally free from sin. You know this. I know this. Our life bears this out. But there should be a conscious putting off of the old man and turning from the former sins that used to define our life. If that's not happening, there's real danger that the people's sin is going to spread and infect and corrupt the church community. So we have to judge this way. We have to be discerning, and we have to make sure that we don't fall into this camp as a Christian man ourselves, that we have unrepentant sin that is in danger of infecting others. If you do have that, repent of it, turn from it, recognize that Jesus Christ died for that sin, was buried and rose again, and you are free in Christ from that sin. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it does mean that you need to be turning from that every day. All right, so that's number three, judge unrepentant sinners in the church. How about number four? Judge disputes within the church. What does that mean? Well, Matthew 18, 17 is part of the Lord's instruction on how to handle conflict within the church. And it says that when two believers cannot settle their disagreement, where one has sinned against the other, they are to tell the dispute to the church. Now, this often gets understood as elders, but it doesn't say elders, it says church. That means that the members of a congregation are supposed to be able to corporately decide disagreements within their fellowship. This is a good form of judging. When it's done right, it's supposed to lead to healing and reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 4 speak to this even more powerfully, perhaps, or at least in a different way. It says this, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not worthy to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels, how much more matters of this life. So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint those who are of no account in the church as judges? This is part of a broader block of instruction of the Apostle Paul explaining how Christians are supposed to act in the church. And he's saying Christians should be well-equipped to handle disputes and disagreements arguments between one another. We shouldn't need to re resort to secular law courts to handle internal disputes. 1 Corinthians 15 or 5.13 then says this, but those who are outside 
God will judge. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. If someone won't listen to reason, and if a person is clearly in the wrong, this is me talking now, not Paul, the church is actually to disfellowship that person. In other words, we are to judge disputes within the church. And if a person has sinned against someone else, won't repent, then the church has the ability to excommunicate or disfellowship or kick out a member from its congregation. And those who are outside, those who are not part of the church, we are to treat them as unbelievers, placing them under the judgment of God. In other words, hey, listen, man, you're acting like a non-Christian. You're not acting like a believer because you're so unrepentant right now. We have to treat you as though Romans 8.1 is not true about you. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not acting like you're in Christ Jesus. We have to assume that you are under condemnation. Again, the goal here is not to be harsh. The goal is to discipline self-proclaimed believers so that they will be reconciled and will repent and come back into the church. So that's number four, judge disputes within the church. And finally, judge sin anywhere and everywhere. All right, Ephesians 5, 11 and 12 says this, and do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. In other words, we Christians had better be able to discern the behavior that is good and right and holy and just and pure, righteous, and that which is not. Because the Bible makes it clear that those who do not repent of their sin will not make it into the kingdom of God. It's not because we're saved by our righteous living, far from it. But it's because in Christ, we recognize that those sins have been paid for. Our sin was so serious that God sent his son to die for them. So we need to be able to recognize sin, and we should not be afraid to say that sin is sinful. That is not the same as rendering final judgment on someone outside the church or even inside the church because of a sin in their life. But we had better be able to discern between truth, error, uh, goodness, badness, right, wrong. We better be able to make those judgments as Christians and not only judge them, but even expose them. So there is a right way to judge. Now, why are we sometimes tempted to judge the wrong way? I'll tell you why. It's because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It helps us avoid dealing with our own sinful stuff, and it's easier and less painful to condemn the sin in others than it is to deal with our own selves. And it's rooted, actually, it's a corruption of a good desire. The good desire is, yeah, we want to call out sin. But the bad corruption of that 
is that we want to call out sin in someone else without dealing in it, dealing with it in ourselves. So how does this connect to the gospel? Jesus Christ allowed himself to be condemned for us. We don't have to fear the condemnation of God because Jesus was condemned for us. That is why Romans 8.1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because if you're in Christ, you recognize Jesus was judged guilty so that we may be judged not guilty. Jesus has secured our position by God's grace through faith in the kingdom of saints. That means that we, not only will we not be judged, but according to the Bible, we will one day judge the world and angels. So we have a glorious future ahead of us. We do not need to fear God's judgment. That means that we can judge ourselves rightly, and we can judge sin, and we can even execute proper judgment within the kingdom of God, and we can judge sin outside of the church, even while we leave final judgment of the world in God's hands. Romans 12, 19 talks about how vengeance is the Lord's, he will repay, leave room for God's judgment. There is a wrong way to judge, and we don't want to fall into that, but there is also a right way to judge. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't hold others to a standard that you aren't willing to hold yourself to. And judgment really needs to work in concentric circles. Begin with yourself, Matthew 7. Then pay close attention to your church. 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18 is relevant here. It says, it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. But then after you've dealt with your own in-house issues, do be aware of the world. Speak prophetically to the world. But understand that the Lord will be the final judge. He is already the judge. He doesn't need your help. Not now. Speak up against evil when you see it. Ephesians 5.11 again. Expose it. But don't worry as you do all this about final judgment. And don't worry about how others are going to judge you. 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, The spiritual man judges all things, but is himself not judged. In other words, stay based. Stay based, or as we say around the Think Institute, stay based by God's grace. Don't worry about how other people are going to judge you. And teach your kids to discern right from wrong. This is how this connects to everyday life. Teach your kids. Look, you need to keep a close watch on yourself. And you should be able to discern truth from error, sin from righteousness. But that judgment always needs to begin with your own heart. And don't worry about how others judge you. Teach your kids that. Teach your kids to begin by discerning right and wrong in their own hearts and practice this in front of them. And of course, be repenting when needed, when you do wrong. Now, would you like to learn more? Join the conversation in the Think Squad. I personally think this is the best group on Facebook. I know I'm biased, but I really think it's good. Join the Think Squad today to get access to this group. All you have to do is open up Facebook and search for Think Squad. That's T H I N K S Q U A D. Answer the short membership questions. That is all that it takes. 
join this fellowship and start sharing ideas and interests and get access to all the resources that we are posting from the Think Institute. Thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. Thank you to Kevin Blessum for asking this question. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes, and is a production of the Think Institute. We equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message, and we are based by God's grace.